Well, we're going to get moving here. We, we did abbreviate our music program and everything else. So take your Bibles with me tonight. Turn to Matthew. Um, let's go to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to preach a message in, tonight entitled, The Price is Right. Max came to me the other night, the other day, and said, is that, is that, is that title right? And I said, yes, it is. He said, isn't that a game show? And uh, yes, it is. The Price is Right. My mom has been watching that show since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I remember Bob Barker. I think that's the only guy. He, he must be Methuselah. I'm not sure. But that guy's been alive forever, I think. And, um, but I'm not going to preach about The Price is Right tonight, Max. We're not, we're not going to call you. Come on down, Max. We're not going to do that. We're going we're gonna to preach from God's Word tonight. So if you'll stand with me, please. Matthew chapter 13. And we'll look at verse number 44. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he hath found one, one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. Father, we do ask tonight that you would instruct us from your word, that you would edify us and build us up. Lord, that we might just see uh, the great work that you have for us, the great responsibility that we have in leading our children and in instructing them and preparing them to be the next generation that will carry forth your word and, and preach and and all these things. So we ask you tonight to stir us and challenge us, and we ask you to bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. While you're there at Matthew 13, back up just a couple of chapters. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11 together. Matthew chapter 11. Now, Eric, uh, I did something very foolish this afternoon. I sat in my office and studied and read, and I made a lot of changes to my notes that won't be on the PowerPoint. So uh, some of the scriptures will be there, some won't. But uh, most of the ones that I added that we don't have on the screen, I'm going to ask you to turn to. So let's look at Matthew chapter 11 together, and we'll look at verse 28. Here we see the words of our Lord, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I've been asked the question many times in the last 31 years in the ministry, and that question is, aren't you afraid you'll burn out? Aren't you afraid that um, going like you're going, that you're just going to just one day not be able to do anymore? And my answer to that question is always no. No, because of this passage of Scripture right here. 31 years ago when I decided to go into the ministry, I came to the Lord and I laid all my burdens upon him and he gave me his yoke. And he tells us in verse 30 that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. As long as, as, long as you and I serve the Lord, as long as we do what we do for the glory of God and according to his will and purpose, there is no such thing as burning out because we don't do it in our power, we do it in his. Today I see people who are pursuing happiness in life. And there is nothing wrong with that. I like to be happy. However, I fear that most will never find 
the true happiness that they seek. Because true happiness for the believer can only be found in, by living in and for Jesus Christ. In fact, Scripture tells us that obeying the principles of God's Word produces happiness in the life of the believer. If you would now turn with me to John. We're going to turn to a lot of Scripture tonight. Let's go to, to the book of John, chapter 13. And we're going to just read a few verses, beginning at verse number 13. John chapter 13, beginning at verse 13. And we read here, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, Jesus said, happy are ye if you do them. In Psalm 122 and verse 1, we read, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And true happiness and true joy for the believer is found in a life given to Christ and, and, and lived for his glory. Let us remember tonight that it is both the duty and the privilege of believers to live in Christ. In this, in living for Christ, we find spiritual pleasure. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to have a Bible drill tonight. Maybe what I'll do is the first one who gets to it can jump up and read it for us. No, we won't do that. Proverbs chapter 3. We'll read beginning at verse 11. Or I'm sorry, verse 13. Verse 13. Proverbs chapter 11. I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 3. I'll get it straight in verse 13. We'll look here at the words of Solomon. Happy. See that word? Happy. You might want to underline that. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. And the man that getteth understanding. Uh, it's not happy as the man that finds a new Lexus with a big bow in his driveway on Christmas morning. He might be emotionally happy for a little while, but he's not going to be very happy for long. Uh, it's happy as the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Verse 14, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. In other words, the price is right. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her. And happy, there's that word again, happy, is every one that retaineth her. I said in, in living for Christ and the wisdom found from, from a life that's given to, to, to serving the Lord, we find happiness. We enjoy peace and comfort. We have our spiritual strength renewed. And, we, and when we live our life through Christ, it can affect all of those around us as well. In Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47 
concerning the church of Jerusalem, the first church, we read, and they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and look at this next phrase, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And we see that, that when, when God's people live their life in him and through him, and when we strive to, to glorify the Lord in all that we do, we see that, that the Lord uses us to affect the people in the community, to affect those around us, and to draw unto himself those that he has called. However, all Christians do not live in such a manner. Some are th- slothful and feeble-minded. Some are lukewarm and indifferent. Some are worldly-minded. Still others are proud and conceited and, and think they are wiser than their masters. I remember a, a young man that attended this church many years ago, and if I mentioned his name, most of you would know him. And he was having some problems, and so I went to see him one day, and, and um, when he, would, when he would have these types of problems, he would just lock himself in his house and he wouldn't, he wouldn't do anything and, and he would just go into depression. And I went to it and I knocked on his door and he wouldn't answer. And I knocked again and he wouldn't answer. And I, can, I stood there and just knocked. And after about five minutes, he came and opened the door and stepped out and closed the door. And he told me, he said, listen... There's nothing you can tell me that I don't already know. And I thought to myself, well, you're probably right. Because if you're not ready, if you're not prepared to open your heart to to the counsel of God's word, then there's nothing anyone can do to help you. And some are that way. Some are proud and conceited. So let us be reminded tonight that we are not greater than our master, as we read in, in John a little earlier. We are not greater tonight than Jesus. And he, by his example, admonished us to pay the price of discipleship. And I propose to you tonight that indeed the price is right. Now, with the time that I have tonight, I would like to take a few moments and and share some thoughts with you concerning this matter. Now, do not think tonight that as I stand here that I am, I am telling you that I know it all and that I have arrived, because certainly I don't. I have not mastered all these things, and I am not perfect, and, and I will make mistakes. So I want you to understand that. I'm not standing up here tonight trying to set myself above anyone else. The things that I will share tonight are, are lessons that God has, has taught me over, over the many years that I've served him and, and lessons I've learned from, from some of my own shortcomings, shortcomings which continue with, with me even unto this night. However, I can stand here tonight, and I can say to you that the price we pay to live as disciples of Christ pale in comparison to all that God has and will do for us. Paul confirms this in Scripture in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 where he states, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Yes, tonight I I believe the price is right. 
Now, that statement, of course, would infer that there is a price. And certainly there is a price. Look with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter 10. Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 10. And we'll begin reading at verse 16 from Matthew chapter 10. There is a price to pay, to be paid, for a life that is lived in and through Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 16, if you would. Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. And certainly the price that we pay for our discipleship, the price that we pay to be servants of Christ may be costly from the flesh's viewpoint. But at the same time, it is very worthwhile. And tonight I'd like for us to just compare, just for a few moments, the the benefits, if you will, of a life lived for Christ and compare them to the cost, to the price um, that is paid. If you, were, if you were going to go out tonight and, and purchase an automobile, you would uh, certainly be sure to compare that with, with other things. You would, you, would, uh, you would try to determine whether or not the investment, the outlay of cash you're going to make uh, and put into this car, is, it, it justifies what you're going to get out of that car. Well, certainly God is not afraid of, our, of us testing him. God is not afraid to show us and to prove to us uh, his integrity. So uh, tonight, let's take a look at a few moments uh, at this matter of the prices right concerning our discipleship. And the reason tonight that I, I state that the price is right, the, the premise for the whole thing is this, the promises of the Father. I can stand here tonight and I can say, yes, the price that I will pay to serve the Lord with my life, the price that I will pay to give myself wholly unto Christ, to dedicate myself in every facet of my life for the furtherance of the gospel and for the fulfillment of the will and purpose of the Father is, is justified because of the promises of the Father. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we read from verses 2 through 4, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, 
whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. When I considered in preparing this message the problems and the hardships associated with being a minister of the gospel, when I looked at the last 31 years, and I'm not, I'm not asking for sympathy here, please understand, I, I wouldn't trade one moment of my life for the last 31 years for anything. But when I look back at all of the problems and all of the hardships that I've, in, that I've faced, If I allowed it to, it could become an overwhelming burden. However, when I compare those problems to the love that God has for me, they pale in comparison. Paul states in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's a beautiful question, isn't it? He says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sakes we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, that just about encompasses everything. There is nothing in this life that can separate us from the love of of God. And when I look at the problems, I also consider the ability of my God to overcome them. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, we read, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And when I consider the promises of my Father, these problems and hardships become Nothing more than a pesky fly to me. Now, flies can be pretty pesky. They can also be pretty hazardous. But they won't kill me. Well, I guess maybe some could. There are some probably in the dark jungles of Africa and can eat me alive. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying. In fact, the problem, I've learned this. Over the years, I've learned that the problems become opportunities. Opportunities for God to gain glory for himself. If I handle them correctly, and if I look at them in the right way, God can use the the hardships and the problems in our life to show forth the glory of himself. I think Job was a good example of that. And Job, by the way, had had a grip on reality. Job was sitting on the on the trash heap and he was, he was covered from head to toe with, with boils. And, and he, he grabbed a piece of broken pottery in and, 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 and Job chapter 2 and verse 9. And he's, he's scraping himself with the pottery to, to relieve the pressure and, and to ease his, his torment. And his wife comes up to him and she says, 
How long are you going to sit there and, and take this? Curse God and die. That's what she told her husband. Curse God and die, Job. Get it over with. But in Job chapter 2 and verse 10, Job states, But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all of this did not Job sin with his lips. Job's had enough sense to realize that sometimes the purpose and the will of God may take us through dark times, may take us through difficult times, may take us through hardships and trouble. Doesn't mean God doesn't love us. Doesn't mean we're not doing his will. We just have to, as I mentioned Wednesday night, we have to view the glass as always overflowing. We need to understand that God's goodness is not measured by how full my glass is. God's good all the time. Even if my glass is empty, the Lord is good. And the Lord is gracious to me. We are a generation of Christians who want to, want to live for God as long as it doesn't cost us too much to do so. We want to live for God, but we want to be free to do what we want to do when we want to do it. We want to live for God, but we don't want to tithe and support the local church. We want to live for God, but we don't want to make a commitment to take on a job in the church and then stick with it. But this type of attitude contradicts discipleship. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And we'll look at verse, beginning at verse 26. Beginning at verse number 26 of Luke chapter 14, we read, If any man come to me... And hate not his father and mother, and wife and children, and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. Now, uh, before someone panics, God isn't telling us we have to hate all these people. This phrase means that we are to love them less than we love him. Verse 27 And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to war uh, against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth, whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsake not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And in order for us to be disciples of Christ, we must be prepared and willing to forsake all that we have for God's glory. So there is a price to pay. But the question is, are we willing to pay the price? What do we do when considering a secular transaction, such as buying a car, for instance? I mentioned this earlier. Well, we will compare the return against the investment, and this would be a wise thing to do. 
So concerning our discipleship, let's examine uh, the return, if you will, against the cost. And in order to do this, I'd like to just briefly look at the promises of God with regards to our discipleship. So let's just look at a few of the promises of the Lord that, that we should consider when determining, uh, when considering the cost of our, of our discipleship. Number one, we should look at redemption, the promise of redemption. In Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we, we read, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. That's right. God has promised us eternal life. And this promise was made without any consideration of merit on our part. In Ephesians chapter 3, let's, let's turn there, if you would, please. Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll look at verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And we have been promised eternal life. We have been promised redemption. In First Peter, if you uh, will turn there with me, please. First Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2 of First Peter. We read here, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Redemption is a wonderful word. However, we must remember that before something can be redeemed, it must be lost. And lest we forget, we too were lost and condemned to hell. In Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 1, Isaiah writes, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Here the rock and the hole of the pit refer to our fleshly heritage, to our, our, our sinful nature. It's referring to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, we were conceived in sin, and without the redeeming grace of God, we would spend eternity in our sin and in hell. So considering the great promise of God and the great gift of redemption, is there any price too great to pay for our obedience, for our discipleship? But secondly, tonight we must consider a second promise, and that is the promise of unending fellowship. When I consider the cost of being a disciple of Christ, I must consider the fact that uh, the returns for, for, for my, for, from God are, 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 is redemption. But secondly, it's unending fellowship. 
Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, we read, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What a great comfort to know that no matter what I am going through, no matter what I may face tomorrow, I know that God's presence and power will be there with me. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5, we read, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Again, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, we read, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Yet we go through this life oblivious of the fact that all that we face is known by the Lord. And only those things that he allows can affect my life. So knowing that God is watching over every aspect of our lives, is there any price too great to pay to be a disciple of Christ? Well, there's a third promise that I think is important, and that is the promise of provisions. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, we read, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Tell me, who do you trust for your provisions tonight? What if you suddenly lost your income? What if you were laid off? Or what if you became too sick to work? God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And he tells us in Matthew 6 that if we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all things shall be added unto us. Is God a liar? I'm reminded of the declaration of King David in Psalm 37 where he states, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. I do not know, I have no idea what tomorrow holds for me. But God does. And there is nothing that I can do to change God's will. And he has promised to provide all that I need. So, I don't need to worry about it. You know, when I was four years old, I didn't, I didn't worry about what I was going to eat the next day. I didn't worry about anything when I was four years old. Why? Because I trusted my father. And I knew that my father would provide for me. Well, guess what? I'm 55 years old, and I'm trusting my father. 
And I know that my Father will provide what I need. And I know that he has a purpose. And he has a plan. And he has a will. And, and that will and plan and purpose for me will be done. Oh, we of little faith. But what I do need to worry about, however, I don't need to worry about all those things, but what I do need to worry about is doing the will of the Lord. Now, what would you be willing to pay for the security of knowing that all of your material needs will be met for the rest of your life? I mean, if, what would you be willing to do if someone came to you and said, I'll make sure you have everything you need for the rest of your life? Many of us would be willing to do just about anything to have that kind of security. But our Father has already promised us this, and we must remember that. And this makes the price of discipleship worth the cost. Even though we were given God's promise of provision, the cost does not outweigh the benefit. But then, fourthly, tonight, I want us to remember this. The promise of victory. Promise of victory. First John chapter 5 and verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now think about this for a moment. Consider a soldier. He is called into service. And then after he's called into service, he is sent into war. But before he leaves, he is assured that his forces will win. And he is assured that he will return home. And he is assured that upon returning home, he will be given a great reward. And that he will be given a home, even a mansion to live in. And that he will never again be sick. That he'll never again be lonely or sorrowful. Nor will he ever again face death. Now, do you think that that soldier would have any fear going into battle? Do you think that he would be resistant about going? If he's given all these assurances and, and, and they're, they're absolutely confirmed and there's no possible way that, none, that they wouldn't happen? He'd say, sure, sign me up, let's go. If I, if, if I know for sure I'm going to win, if I know for sure I'm coming home, if I know for sure I'm going to have all these things you talked about, sign me up. I want to go. I want to go to battle. I want to go to war. Well, think about this. Hasn't God promised us all of those things? Of course he has. In John chapter 14, we read, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. In Revelation chapter 21, we read, 
I, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. In Second Timothy chapter 4 and verses 6 through 8, we read, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, despite all of these promises, the vast majority of believers are afraid to go to war for Christ. So they submit to the world and its expectations for them. They trust in their own flesh to provide for their family. They trust in their own abilities to secure the future for their children. They trust in what they can see instead of him who they cannot see. You know, sometimes I'm disappointed in Christian people. Because sometimes people are going through difficulties and the last thing they think about, the last thing they stand on is the promises of God. Times are tough right now. The economy is very tenuous at best. The job market has slowed down and jobs are hard to find. The cost of living is at an all-time high. Gas prices are going up. Grocery prices are going up. Utilities are going up. And salaries are coming down. But I ask you tonight, what does that have to do with anything? Does the economy affect heaven's bank accounts? Did God file for bankruptcy? Did I miss that? Did did CNN report? God has filed for bankruptcy due to the poor economy. Did, Did God have to mortgage heaven? Take a second out on heaven? Oh, we of little faith. You know what? I'm going to let God's word close my message tonight. Turn with me to Psalm 50. Now, I told you before I started, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not standing up here tonight and saying I'm, I'm just this superman. You know, I've, I learned in life through hard knocks. 
My wife and I, in the last 31 years, have been put in positions where we had to trust the Lord. We, we didn't have anyone else. But you know what's wonderful? What's absolutely wonderful is when you reach the point when, when God is all you have, you learn that God is all you need. You don't need anything else when you have the Lord. But look at Psalm 50 with me, if you would. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. But unto the wicked, God saith, What hast thou to, to do to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing thou hatest instruction, and castest my words behind thee, when thou sawest a thief, then thou, then thou cons- consented with him, and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Uh, though thoughtest thy, I was, thoughtest that I was altogether such as one is thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Oh yes, the price is right. For the sake of our future generations, for the sake of our children, for the sake of our grandchildren, it is, it is time that we as God's people awaken out of the philosophies of this world and remember God is on his throne he is sovereign he is supreme stop living like frightened children and start living in the in the understanding and the knowledge that God is in control of our lives let's let's yield ourselves to him Give God your resources. Give God your talents. Stop saying, I want, I want, I want, and start saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What is your will for me, Lord? 
I wake up every morning and I ask the Lord, Father, show me today what I must do. Guide my steps. And I've never, the Lord has never let me down in all these years. The only times I've ever been afraid or the only times I've ever felt lost is when I am out of place. Not God. God, is, God will never leave us or forsake us. The price is right. The price is right. Let's, let's show the world what a community, a group of people totally and fully surrendered to the Lord can do. Who knows? Maybe we could even see revival in Roner Park. We might see a revival of young people. But we're not going to do anything as long as we fail to give ourselves to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, all that we have is thine. Lord, but by your grace, we are what we are. And I just pray, Father, and I, I ask that you would, you would use us in this place. We don't, we don't know what will happen tomorrow or the next day or the next day, but you do. What we need, Father, what we need is your strength to help our unbelief. We need you to help us look beyond ourselves and just trust you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we need. We need to be like Paul, who was fully surrendered unto you. I pray you'd use us. I pray you'd use us to raise our children, to, to reach this community with the gospel, to, to send forth missionaries into the world. Lord, that your will and purpose might be done. Thank you for this time. I ask that you would use this message to strengthen me in my heart and those here that, that were here to hear it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.